Hello and welcome to episode 27 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 21st of December 2017. I'm Joe and with me are Jesse. Jingle bells, jingle bells. Ah, oh, shut up. Ike. <laughs> Robin flew away. Ah, <laughs> uh, and failing. Batman broke a leg. Ah, uh, don't start with that shit. So we are recording a little bit early. It's almost Christmas. You will be hearing this on Christmas Day, or maybe you'll be hearing it in 10 years' time. Who knows? But it'll be released on Christmas Day, with any luck. Um, we are going to do a retrospective of the year's news. We're going to look back at 2017 and see what was going on in that year. So let's start with January. And the first story is that there were no new Ubuntu phones going to be released anytime soon and no major updates for any existing ones. The writing was on the wall. I mean, holy shit, this seems like a long time ago. Uh, you know, it's a year, but it's a long time in the Ubuntu year. And and looking at where they are now and what people are talking about for 2018, to think back that we were disappointed that they weren't going to have new phones coming out or even updates for the existing phones, it was quite a big news story. And it just goes to show how fast things happen in open source, a year being a fairly short amount of time, and, and where Ubuntu are now and their positioning and all that sort of yada yada nonsense. Yeah, well, we will get back to that when we get to April and beyond. But there was other phone news in January. It was kind of in December, really, but early January, Cyanogen Mod became Lineage OS, and we started to get the first unofficial ROMs. And it's been a pretty good year for Lineage. Phelim, you've been using it this year, haven't you? Yeah, and I, I can't believe that it only started in January as well. So I don't know what happened to this year, but... It feels like it's been around for ages, but also feels like it only happened about two weeks ago. So I don't know. It's a strange one. But isn't that because Signage and Mod and Lineage are just the same and it was just a name change effectively? Yeah, pretty much, to be honest. But I also got a decent phone for once that wasn't a hand-me-down. So I've been happy with my OnePlus 3T. T makes it better. Hey, Jesse. And uh, <laughs> early in the burns, thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be done. Um, and I, it's just a perfect match, really, the two of them together. Um, I wish it was maybe still a bit easier to do things to get like that initial first burn onto the system and that, but I mean, it's been really good. Um, pretty chuffed with it, especially after they uh accidentally one plus that is started to hoover up all your data later, Jesse. Oh the, oh, the smugness is unbearable. I have to say, though, my battery life, as with all Android phones, has sort of gone down and down over the year and a few months that I've had this phone. And more recently, it's been to the point where I'm I'm changing the way I use my phone uh, in order to compensate for the battery life. So I think a, a fresh wipe and lineage is going to have to happen. Then I can at least get one back from not having OnePlus One stock OS uh, but I still wouldn't have the T on the end, unless I just like draw it on the back, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny that I've had my OnePlus 3T long enough now for that honeymoon period of amazing battery life to have gone. You know, when you get that new battery and it's just, you don't even think ever of charging it. Now I'm like, make sure I've got my anchor battery packed in my bag. I don't have to use it yet, but I'm not confident to go out without it, put it that way. Well, you say that, right? Up until about two weeks ago, I was getting over two days worth of charge. And up till just the latest, what I think is the Telegram update, I'm down to one day, nine, nine hours. 
So my suspicion might be that the apps might be doing it. And I think it's Telegram that is the culprit, but I'm not 100% sure. Um, and that is actually one thing that's a bit annoying is the, the battery monitoring in uh, Android in general is just terrible. Even the newest one is just terrible. You should be able to add up all the percentages and at least get back to 100% at the end of it. That's true, actually. It's sometimes very confusing, isn't it? Like where? I've, well, I added up to twenty-one percent after that whole day, and it's like, okay, so tell me what the other seventy-nine percent is doing then. Oh, I see. It's not like close, and there's a couple of percent missing that's like lost in the in the noise. It's like Enron levels of of management there. <laughs> yeah, or Apple. That story broke today as we we're recording it, listeners. So that tells you when this was. But anyway, um, so let's move on to February. And Ike's decision to never support 32-bit with Solus felt a little bit vindicated with Arch and Tails both announcing that they were dropping 32-bit completely. Yeah, I mean, it kind of had to happen, didn't it? There's not really many distros even left today that are doing 32-bit. So I'm personally happy about it, but we've seen some fallout since. Like all the people we didn't think needed 32-bit, suddenly there's a lot more people using 32-bit machines now than we've realized back then. For what? Surely 32-bit machines are so old that you can't even use modern distros. You can get new 32-bit machines. This is the weird part of it. Like even a lot of the atoms are 32-bit. Some of them are 64-bit or 32-bit UEFI, but a lot of them are actually 32-bit. So there are modern machines that are 32-bit machines and need a 32-bit OS. Or there is kind of the other thing that the machines are that low in performance that you didn't really want to put 64-bit on because they can't actually take advantage of it in any reasonable way, like one, two gigs of RAM and a really, really weak processor that just can't take advantage of the extra registers. So, yeah, I can see why some people might be a bit peed about it. Did I just censor myself from swearing? Sounds like it. I'll edit that out, don't worry. I'll, I'll beep out your senses. <laughs> <laughs> what has happened? Oh, it's been a long year, ladies and gentlemen. It's been a long year. It's been hanging around on that Ubuntu podcast too much. Yeah. Well, hang on. I, I realized that I forgot the major news for January. We've already moved on to February, but this podcast launched. This is a year we've been doing it now. Ooh. Let's give ourselves a round of applause. Come Whee. on. You're actually clapping, aren't you? Crowds, yeah. yeah, crowds of people. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we hired them, but <laughs> but even later on in the year, the Ubuntu release came out um, seventeen ten with no thirty two bit ISO. They still got all the packages in the archive and stuff. And now even the eighteen oh four server is not going to have a thirty two bit image, which is quite surprising because I thought that containerization would be one space where thirty two bit would continue. Because if you are only giving it like five twelve of RAM or something just for a small process. But then I suppose you'd probably be looking at Alpine or something if you were going to do that. Well, I mean, you still want... I mean, the most important thing when you've got a lot of containers on a machine is actually having density. So the more of them you can actually pack into there, the better. So if you've got a larger address space and you're able to use it more effectively, then the whole 32-bit versus 64-bit call is completely out the window there. Like, it's no longer relevant. Having smaller libraries and smaller binaries so they take up less memory that's you know that's desirable and like you say alpine is a, a brilliant example of that but having things small for the sake of being small doesn't really jive anymore but surely you'd have a 64-bit host and then 
32-bit guest because they'd be small. You wouldn't need to. That's the thing. You wouldn't need to because the way that things have gone with containers now, you can get the density out of them without having to do tricks like having 32-bit guests. All right. So that's probably why Ubuntu are moving in that direction then. Yeah, and I mean, you kind of want to get the performance out of it as well. Like, it's not just about perform. Uh, uh, memory usage when it comes to 32-bit there are a lot more registers with 64-bit and you want to use them you want to be able to do floating point operations more effectively you want to be able to push more stuff through at the same time and 64-bit is superior for that in every way so if you're using something like amazon and you're getting charged like pay as you go effectively you you kind of want to get the most out of what you're doing and not deliberately limit your performance just because of usage you you want to get the more bang for your buck, right? Yeah. Phelan, do you do any um, 32-bit stuff, or is it all 64? There's one out of a large number that's 32, just by pure chance, because it uses telephony gear, so it's not something that you can easily swap out. Like That's why I always find it funny that everybody talks about, oh, yeah, you can just round-robin hardware and all that. So, eh, it doesn't really work when you do telephony stuff, because you don't usually get the chance to, because you have to deal with the telephone company. But... That one, yeah, that'll have to go. But, I mean, the thing about servers is you have those on support contract because if anything breaks on a hard drive or anything like that, you want those guys to come out and swap the gear or you have uh, gear on site. But you really don't want to be scrimping on something that's too old because at that point it becomes too much of a liability unless you're stuck. Like, you know, you see banks with massive machines that are there for donkey's ears, but you're talking normal servers. You want to try and get rid of them after a good while. I won't say how long that good while is because everybody's <laughs> different and some people aren't as lucky as other people and they end up with shite that they have to fucking hold up to for too long. We'll give it a very nice name. We'll call it uh, Variable Shelf Life. Yeah, that's the one. That's <laughs> so earlier than this year, uh, Mozilla said they were shutting down the Firefox OS uh, on the phones and this year in February, they actually shut down the group behind it because it was sort of forked a little bit in order to do IoT devices and routers and sort of um, those sort of embedded devices. Uh, but Firefox now uh, in February this year said that's the end of that. Yeah, it's a real shame. It's a real, real shame, especially if you wanted a browser to be tied to an operating system version, tied to a whole load of stuff that wasn't getting updated properly. You really, you really did want that to last. But oh, well. You're just burnt failing because you wanted Firefox OS to be good. I did, and I bought two of the stupid phones because, oh. you know, fool me twice. Yeah, oh, I'm a fucking yeah. idiot. Did those phones, like, have a version that ended with T? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, the SHI version, I think it was. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, we're going to hear a lot from Mozilla, and moving on into March, they acquired Pocket and said they were going to open source it, and... I've been rolling it on my own server for the last couple of months now. I've had the uh, open source client on my phone. It's been brilliant. No, hang on. No, they still haven't fucking open sourced it all these months later. Bastards. Yeah, it's the one plugin you learn how to disable. Is this the thing that I said in Maritime I was going to use? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the thing I've been using all year for this show and like the other shows that I've been doing as well. I find it immensely useful. But at the same time, I'm very annoyed that Mozilla have bought it, promised to open source it, and have taken this long, and still there's not even any sign. I've tweeted them twice about it and not heard anything back. I said, you know, how's the open sourcing of Pocket coming along? And they just haven't replied to me. Maybe they could smell the insincerity from <laughs> us. <laughs> oh no, it's him. <laughs> well, I just it's something that I really want to happen, because it's a service I use all the time, 
but they keep putting all this bullshit social whatever in it and recommendations and adverts and shit that I don't need or want. I just want to be able to collate my links and read them offline when necessary. Jesse, back me up here. You use Pocket all the time. <laughs> Less so now, I have to say. But I've, I've, I've Less just... so now that it's owned by an open source company. He liked it when it was good old proprietary. Yeah, if it's shoved in your face by Mozilla, you don't really want it. But I'm just pondering about the timescales. I'm thinking if this was March and they took a couple of months for the paperwork and the legalities and the handover of the code, you're talking about mid-2017. So they've only really been like trying to open source it, let's say, for six months. Maybe there's some complexities in you know getting the licenses and the, co- the code. I don't think it's that unreasonable. But surely if you are writing code for a company that is proprietary, you don't have any copyright over that do you You sign it all away when you sign your contract that anything you write for them at work is owned by the company so surely mozilla now owns that company so mozilla owns all the code i think there's a more obvious problem here maybe it's just not up to the scratch to have public scrutiny yet right i see when you have stuff that's completely proprietary never had any intention of being open source you know, there it might not just be up to Mozilla's standards yet, because they they obviously have very high standards. They're open source. You know, they have everything out in the public for people to view, comment, and co- uh, contribute to. Maybe they just haven't restructured it and organized it the way that how Mozilla do. Do you know what I mean? I think that's probably more to do with it. So what you're saying is they're going through and finding all the spaces and changing them for tabs. No, because if, if there was a sensible company, then obviously they would use spaces, you know. <sighs> I don't even write code, and that's I've got a firm opinion on it. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why? It doesn't affect opinion. you. <laughs> he just likes being fucking wrong, that's what. No, it's more efficient to use tabs. Bollocks it is. Yes. It doesn't uh, matter. You press the tab key, and it automatically enters four spaces. Eight for spaces, you. exactly, Phelan. Eight spaces four. is how many? Four fucking spaces. Four if it's a high-level object-oriented language. If it's C, then it's eight. Whatever. I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> I've just realized your question about Pocket, and it's because I use... Um, opera uh browser on on my phone and it has an offline page function so that's now usurped my need for pocket that's ah. i couldn't work out why pocket wasn't in my life anymore and i wonder whether other mobile browsers allow offline pages chrome does now on the on the mobile at least i don't really use it on uh, the desktop but yeah if you've got no connection you can save it to view later but i've just never needed it because pocket is what i'm invested in so come on mozilla pull your finger out open source it please at least the client if not the server as well thank you very much all right well speaking of servers how's your uh netslaud server there phelan <laughs> totally fine <laughs> and, and why is that well, because i update my fucking server unlike some people <laughs> and they deserve to be ratted out like the dirty scoundrels they are <laughs> awkward <laughs> Uh, so yes, this is of course uh, when Nextcloud ratted people out to their ISPs for running Nextcloud boxes on their home connections that were not up to date. I suppose they didn't know it was on home connections, but nevertheless, people got in trouble. And we talked about this. Then Nextcloud got in touch with us, and then you, like, he took two two by fours and beat shit out. <laughs> That's the poor not lad. exactly what happened. Like. Obviously, we agreed that people needed to be up to date. It was just the way that things were approached. 
I would argue that Nextcloud came out with their feathers singed, but they could still fly. And after all of that, there is technically a solution because you can install their snap and it will update itself. You are such a fucking Ubuntu shill these days. Yeah, I, I, I've asked them. I asked Poppy earlier on. It's like, listen, we need to talk about my shillery. <laughs> yeah, it's about time they got you on the payroll. Man. Yeah, man. Fuck. I want my shillery. But yeah. You can have your LSI as a snap. Yeah, you are. It, aren't you? it already is. Yeah. Unbelievable. All right. Well, good segue <laughs> again into Ubuntu. So in April, Shuttleworth dropped a bombshell that they were abandoning Unity and the phone and Convergence and everything, and they were going to go back to GNOME. What? Unity's gone. Ah, well, that came back around recently, didn't it? But for now, we did a special episode. We'd only just put one out, and then they dropped this on the Tuesday or something. So that was annoying that we had to do two in two days. But it's the news that has rippled throughout the whole year, really, hasn't it? It's, It's affected all sorts of things on the desktop. It means that we've got more... Um, investment into GNOME now. Yeah, no, GNOME has users for once again. <laughs> Sorry. I resemble that remark. <laughs> <laughs> well, says you, Mr. Plasma, who is left using Plasma now? Like, what big distros are using it? Who cares? All the good people still using it, so it's all fine. Who was using it before then anyway? Well, that's true, I suppose. Distros, I mean, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to say yeah. it. <laughs> but I think the point of this that stands out to me as to as to how surprising it was was you know a there was a special episode of late on linux specially recorded which is you know unheard of given we've never done one before um but also of all the podcasts i listen to in this sort of tech arena which do prediction shows no one touched on the concept of unity being anything but polished or improved in this way or that way or ubuntu would find a vendor for their phones or find some you know someone else to be selling it at no point did anyone even suggest that either of these two things were going to finish and out of the blue it's like whoom, done and you know and and convergence and all that sort of all that planning and all that sort of drive that ubuntu had had for the last well, you know three or four years now that they've, they've sort of been going the unity uh yeah the unity way it was just such a massive turn, and you know now that we're now that the dust has settled and um, the betas have come out. Is it beta? Well, it's uh, seventeen ten, which is effectively a beta. Yeah, <laughs> ready for eighteen oh four. Yeah, is you know it, it all looks positive, but for that for that sort of six months after this announcement, there's all sorts of turmoil and churn and what have you. So it was, yeah, it, I think it was as you say the the biggest thing that rumbled on throughout the year. I think it's rare that someone who runs a project like the likes of Shuttleworth or any of the other big companies that do that, you rarely see them say, you know, this didn't work out the way we wanted to, so we're going to change and we're going to put all our effort into this. You know, it's usually they either pretend nothing happened and say, oh, this is the latest new magic thing, or, you know, quietly sweep her under the rug and pretend that nothing happened. So I think they have to get credit for that as well. And I think 1710 hasn't been overly bad. No, I think it's been solid from what I've seen of it. I don't like GNOME, I don't like Unity, but I can look at things objectively and try and see it through the eyes of people who do like either GNOME or Unity, and I think they've struck a reasonable balance between the two of them. They've made it function a little bit like Unity, and they've made GNOME better. I'd I'd certainly prefer to use Ubuntu's version of GNOME than a totally stock one. Yeah. But they're also shipping that stock one, which is relatively easy to install if you want. Yeah, it's pretty good. 
Or you could go for a, a Ubuntu base distribution with a stock GNOME on top, like the excellent Pop! OS. Which you're forced to use because you DD'd it to your hard drive. <laughs> and you haven't figured out how to remove it yet. Look, I chose to install it this time. <laughs> it looks really sweet. I'm a Pop! OS fanboy. Really? That's um, surprising. It just to me, it seems like just GNOME with a slightly different theme. And really bad Portadio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the listeners, you don't know what I had to go through last time to sort out jesse's audio which was fucked when he gave it to me thanks to pop os and then we almost recorded with shit audio this time we probably are recording with shit audio as we speak so uh yeah i probably have to fix that again um i don't know just pop os just seems like a complete just redundant thing to me why not just use ubuntu and if you want to have a different theme just fucking install one like you don't need a whole new distro for it but why are you using ubuntu you don't need a whole distro for that, Joe. Why are you using Ubuntu? You can just install XFCE on top of Ubuntu. <laughs> just see what I did there. <laughs> <laughs> because I don't need all the other shit, I just want XFCE. Yes, I could do a minimal install and install XFCE, but this just makes it easier. But also Ubuntu have locked down their version of GNOME to be very Ubuntu-looking, uh, whereas you know, so it has that look of Unity and you have to sort of prize it away from there whereas pop os have picked a nice modern crisp theme and it's very stock gnome which i like and it's, it's telling that ubuntu have gone out to the community to try and find a new uh theme and icons and things because i think it's time for a refresh and maybe after that it'll be it'll be more in favor but i mean they're also working on other things as well i know we were you know negative ninnies about it early in the year but they are starting to do things work is starting to appear on their github and they're attacking issues like they're obsessed with high DPI. They're absolutely obsessed with it, but it's going to be good for everyone. And they wouldn't be able to do that really in a stock environment. I don't think you need that, that freedom, that, that sandbox to play in. So you can actually get these things out to people free from the reins of the parent, if that makes sense. Are they still sticking everything in PPAs though? I don't know. I don't use it. All <laughs> oh, right. My understanding is they are. I haven't really looked at it since it came out. So probably a, I should uh, shut up now and uh, stop dissing it. Uh, so, yeah, the Ubuntu thing uh, we'll probably come back to a bit. It's funny that this week there was that issue, wasn't there, with the EFI stuff, which by the time people are listening to this, it'll probably be fixed. So it's not really big news, is it? Well, yeah, this is the, you know, for those of you who haven't listened to it or are busy Christmas shopping when the news is going on in late December, um, it was found out that uh, the most recent Ubuntu install was sort of balking some of the UEFIs. And once it had been balked, it was ir- irreplaceable, irremovable, irrespectful. Anyway, you, <laughs> you could, re- irreversible. You couldn't go back. And, um, and so there's a problem, but it's not, it, it's, it looks like it's Ubuntu is triggering a fault with the actual UEFI install itself. So it's not really Ubuntu making the problem. It's, they've just uncovered a bug, uh, but they've pulled all their ISOs off so that people don't, uh, download to continue with this however that moves us into may and uh susie and fedora were both being added to windows 10 so this is the it's called subsystem for linux windows subsystem for linux there we go the wussil and uh you can now choose to have some more distributions should you so wish well they weren't actually in there yet and i don't think they are i really should have checked this but i'm just fucked if i'm installing windows 10 quite frankly and updating it and all the rest of it but they are still coming to the windows store i think but i think it even if they're not there yet they will be pretty soon but what is important here is that 
it's not just Ubuntu now. They are expanding this. They've added OpenSSH recently. It's them taking Linux. Well, it's everything but Linux, isn't it? It's all the user land and not actually Linux. But it's them taking that seriously and accepting that they have to add that to Windows to stay relevant, which is a kind of win in one way, but it's also potentially taking market share away from Linux. Can I ask my sort of idiot question, really? Um, so let's say, so you've got a lot of the bash commands, the sort of fundamental shell commands, and you can do top and ls and cd and all those sorts of things. And you could you always had to use putty to get into it. So now you can use SSH. And as they slowly but surely incorporate more of these ways of talking to a subsystem that looks like Linux using tools that are based on Linux. And I know they've been talking upstream with uh, the OpenSSH guys for this. At what point are they just accepting that they're just going to be using Linux, but like on top of, it just seems like so, so close to just being a Linux box. Well, it's not Linux though, is it? Because it's talking to the NT kernel via a sort of API translation layer but if all your all your front facing stuff if all your facade has to look like linux and then on the back end you've got something which isn't what like how are they how are you winning it's it's enough though for you to get dev environments built up and things like that so the, i think the real win here is for people who are doing things on uh cloud infrastructure and it was all linux boxes because let's be realistic that's what really runs the web so if you're building a whole lot of dev tools and you know, oh, I need a Linux box because I need to test this. If you can just do it in a terminal, then yeah, it's great. You can test that all builds out and then you can deploy it to a proper environment, which is going to be a proper Linux server or a VM in a Linux box, then yeah, you're done. So it just takes out that step. It's also a challenge to the developers in the MacBook world where they have their Unix-like environments and, you know, they have their custom package managers and their their Mac brews to get Linux, effectively Linux software, but it's not really Linux software. We think of it as Linux software. They can do all that stuff on their MacBooks. They can do it on their Linux systems. They can't do it on Windows unless, as you say, SSH in or you set up a VM. And, you know, we, we live in the days where you go to GitHub to get something now. This is where all the, the cool software is. And nobody's putting bat dot, uh, like dot bat scripts and, and dot sh scripts in the same repo. They're expecting a Linux like environment to run this stuff. And that's where all the cool stuff is that, you know, you've got Docker and all the Golang world is existing effectively just on Linux. If you can have all of that available on Windows as well, it's a massive value add for Windows and nobody has to learn two things. But they are learning two things. You're going to have to do you know, git pulls and install things with scripts and what have you. And you're not using .exes, the, the, the things that you know if you're, if you're a Windows user. Yeah, but it's not about being a Windows user. It's about being a developer or administrator. There is one workflow for developers and administrators, and that is effectively the Linux way. Technically, it's actually a POSIX Unix-based way, but we'll, you know, we'll keep everyone happy and call it the Linux way. The Windows way doesn't come into it. It's been irrelevant in this area for a long time now. So it's not really about learning how to do the Windows and the Linux stuff. It's doing it the developer admin way, the same way on your MacBook, on your Linux systems, on your servers, and on your Windows system. There's only one way now. It still sounds to me like if someone knows all those things that they have to do and they couldn't do them because Windows wasn't letting them do them, if they already knew what they're supposed to do in the POSIX Unix way, they must therefore have been doing it 
in in a Unix environment. Yeah, probably in a VM or some form of container. But what if they could just open a terminal up on our Windows system and have access to all that without all the supposed weight of the VM? Yeah, or they've been doing it on remote servers via PuTTY. Which is more likely. Yeah, and now they can just do it natively and test it on their Windows box and then deploy it later on their cloud box or whatever. Mm. So now they can use Inna Explorer and go to localhost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That 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 description of someone having to remotely do everything that they would normally do on a remote machine, and now just bringing that closer to them, does make some sense. All right, let's let's uh, let's stop talking Microsoft. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about Android again. And this time, I think this is the biggest news for Android for a long, long time. Not new versions and features or whatever. This is plumbing stuff project treble and what it means is that by abstracting the various layers of the operating system and the device drivers and things you can make it far far easier and quicker and more cost effective for oems to push updates out and it means that you're going to potentially not have these devices lagging months and months behind or never get any updates i mean there's phones you can go and buy now that have got like version i don't know android 5 or whatever and we're on 8 now 8.1 and so in theory this is really really good news and is a solution for the problem of android updates and as a nice byproduct from that it makes custom rom development much easier and so potentially a wider variety of devices supported by the likes of lineage so it hasn't really come true yet because the phone world moves although it moves quickly there's a big lag there because it takes quite a long time to develop these new phones but i think that next year we're going to start seeing a lot more project treble phones and it's going to be very good news for android in general yes this is rolling out with um o isn't it android o yeah and that, and, that, and that's the lag you're ex- explaining about. So they, you obviously have to get all these phones into the market, which are O, get rid of everything that's uh, L M N and before M N O N and before, and <laughs> and that you know we, we've seen we, we, we've seen the tail that uh, that you have with Android phones, and it, it's it's years, if not borderline decades almost because um, you know someone can have one of the one of the oldest ones and just keep on using it and dumbly ignore the fact that it's not being updated uh i mean my flatmate had a, a nexus 5 and he was almost happy that he didn't get updates because it meant that shit stopped changing and it was like <laughs> you missed the point it's like yeah but there's this whatsapp update and it changed where the things were in the icons and now it doesn't update it's fine like no it's the opposite of fine eh, fuck it <laughs> Yeah, it's like my niece is too scared to update her iPhone because she's worried things are going to change and stuff. It's like, there's serious vulnerabilities. You need to do it. She's like, nope, not doing it. So, yeah. So, did anything did anything happen in June? Was it a no. quiet month? No, quiet I month. know, we can skip that one. Very quiet. Yeah. Nothing happened there. All right, so you finally announced that you were quitting Intel and going full-time on Solus. So uh, we've had one so far, but I think we need another round of applause, gents. Well done, Ike. It's incredible. Thank you, thank you, thank you. See, I'll accept that applause. (laughs) So here we are six months later. It's a bit not long. Jesus Christ. Do you regret it yet? How many years have you aged in that six months? (laughs) I mean, I, I had hair. I had hair six months ago. I'm bald. Whereabouts? 
it's been a very interesting six months. I will say that it's been a very interesting six months. It doesn't feel like six months. Sometimes it feels a little bit longer because, you know, it feels like the natural thing to be doing, but I don't regret it. Obviously, you know, like for a, for a while you do, you miss the people and the connections that you made at work as well. But I, I still stand by what I did and it was the right thing for me to do. And would you have said that there was a a particular feature or the way that Solus is now that stands out for those six months not having had your main job and, and focusing on on Solus? I know, I know that six months worth of development at full time is going to be massively disproportionate to when it was in your sort of part time and evenings and stuff. But is there something that you feel that you've been able to actually like, right, now that I've got full time, I'm going to do this? Well, since we've gone full time, we have done a lot of re-architecting of Solus, like heavily re-architecting. We completely changed our update process so that we have the weekly things. We're able now to do hundreds of changes every single week, whereas we thought before we'd maybe get like, say, 50, 60 changes in a good week. Now we will consistently have hundreds of changes throughout the week. Uh, Changed our kernel architecture. We've got a new configuration system in there. We've had LSI evolve as well. We've adopted snaps in that time, like properly. Uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, LDM completely changed. Um, all right, okay. all right, all right, all right, all right. There's right, a lot right. of stuff like in, inside of six months because you can commit full time. You, you know exactly what you're going to be doing each day. You can plan for things. And it's it's been real, man. And, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it, just let's gloss over the fact that you've got no money anymore. But, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it'll come if you yeah, keep Merry doing Christmas. it. Yeah, Cheers, yeah. dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got some patrons left after the fucking fiasco of a couple of weeks ago. But uh, I, I, I enjoy what I'm doing. I, I can't ask for more than that. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, we're getting into the depths of summer here. So there's not much happening. So only one for July. And that was Project Common Voice, a rare example of Mozilla doing something right, in my opinion. Is this because they throw many things at the wall and this one actually stuck? Yeah. But this is good. This is we we, we need a competitor to all these voice assistants because yep. apparently people want to use them. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And you know, uh, I would love to say something that triggered all the Alexas and bought something terrible, all the uh, OK Googles and the. Oh, that's so naff to try and do that on podcasts and stuff. Come on, oh, we're better oh, than that. Shut up! It's just it's just triggered mine. <laughs> <laughs> triggered. <laughs> Uh, so, but just for clarity, I don't have one of those in my house. That's uh, the phone. And fortunately, the missus doesn't think they're cool either. So we are we are uh, Alexa free. But um, to have it to have a good open source version of this, I think is absolutely critical because it's becoming more and more common and popular. The in laws have just come around for Christmas, and uh, my father in law will talk to his phone to read texts in rather than having to type them, and so. Obviously, if we have an open source that can correctly and quickly listen to what people are saying, get it in text form, it's not just things like Alexa. It's also things like um, people who uh, find it difficult to type or people who are trying to do things on the move and what have you. It's it's useful on a, in a bigger scale than just uh, stupid like uh, ask a question, how tall is the president type shit. Yeah, accessibility is a major part of it. But it is worth remembering that this is not the complete solution. This is one key part of it, but people need to build on top of what Mozilla have done here. 
but at least we've got that foundation or at least they're preparing that foundation of data um, and processing and all the rest of it that we need to move on. So here's hoping that in 2018, something like Mycroft is actually going to deliver and we're going to get a serious open source competitor to yeah. one of those. Uh, really know how beans are consistent. Are consistent <laughs> of what? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. We, I haven't got, what we haven't got time for that, mate. This episode of Late Night Linux is sponsored by Entroware, entroware.com. And they are a dedicated Linux computer seller based here in the UK. And they're a company who cares about Linux. This isn't a side project for them. This is all they do. And they sell computers with Ubuntu and Ubuntu Mate 1604 and 1710. And they've got a whole range of computers, a load of laptops, a couple of desktops, a couple of servers. So they've got every angle covered there. And almost all of their machines are configurable in terms of CPU and RAM and storage. And just because they sell them with Ubuntu and officially support that, the reality is that if a computer is going to work with Ubuntu, it's pretty much going to work with other distributions as well. And I've thrown all sorts of destroys at my Entryware laptop and it's worked fine. And they're pretty solidly built as well. At least mine is, my Ether, which let's just say it, fell from my table i'm not going to point any fingers at who <laughs> did that <clears throat> it wasn't me no it was my fault from too much crap on my table but anyway it fell on the floor and was absolutely fine your desk is like one of those machines at the arcades with the 10 p's and the 2 p's that shuffle <laughs> backwards and forwards yeah pretty much and uh it's fine i'm still talking to you on it now so that tells you a little bit about the build quality and they ship to the uk republic of ireland france germany italy and spain and if you do buy one of their machines, then mention us at checkout and they'll uh, know that Late Night Linux sent you. So do check them out, entroware.com, for all your Linux computing needs. And as this is the last episode of the year, I think it's worth saying special thanks to Entroware for sponsoring us for, I think, um, over six months now. So yeah, thanks a lot, guys. And uh, let's hope that it continues into 2018. And also thank you, everyone, for supporting us this year on paypal and patreon and um, even a little bit of bitcoin here and there it's very much appreciated um and we talked quite a lot about patreon last time but that uh they've reversed the changes now and uh, i think our fortunes have reversed on that so thank you everyone for coming back ike how are you doing on that have you had people coming back slowly yeah yeah and we've had a lot of suggestions from people and a lot of things to think about um one was about sort of taking payments directly into a bank account. Um, I don't know who put that in the notes here. The thing is, that is a great idea. Uh, so which one of you wants to give your bank details to randoms on the internet? Uh... Fucking not me. That's why we use these intermediary <laughs> services like PayPal and Patreon, because it's a buffer against internet weirdos and and elite hackers and oh you know. way to go joe make sure that they feel confident oh look the fact is 99 percent of our audience are cool normal people like us but probably 99.9 but it, all it takes is one nutter or one elite hacker to like fucking drain your bank account who's that at wimpress lad he, he looks well dodgy <laughs> he looks like he looks he uses lunix and i saw a yeah. photo he's got a weird chair as well uh, <laughs> game yeah. of age this reminds me when jeremy clarkson put his uh, <laughs> yeah. bank details on on in the newspaper and he said you know what could anyone do and like about an hour later his bank phoned him and was like 
we've had to yeah. shut your account because too many people are fucking it up. <laughs> exactly. So that is not an attractive option to me, at least. But we are still thinking about ways. And I think that the the sort of take home message is have loads of different ways. Have the, do be like Linux. Have loads of different distros. Have loads of potential ways for people to support us and let them pick what they want. But f- fragmentation is bad. Uh, yeah, maybe. But maybe we'll look into LibrePay and stuff. I don't know. But uh, if you want to support us, it's very much appreciated. And if you want to push me closer to uh, doing what Ike's done, going full-time with this shit, that would be amazing. Uh, go to latenightlinux.com slash support. Um, and if you want to get in contact, latenightlinux.com slash contact. So we've got an exciting Raspberry Pi giveaway. Yay. We haven't discussed this, so we are now going to have an on-air production meeting. (laughs) (laughs) Jesse, you've got some pies that you're throwing away. Uh, Yes. um, Some work's been going on in the background, and I am expecting an addition to my family in early next year, which will probably also slightly impact the podcast when it comes. But... Uh, in the meantime, I've been clearing stuff out in preparation, and I realized that in my little box of like Raspberry Pi crap with cameras and pies and SD cards and the, all the little cases and adapters and what I've used, I just don't use my full-size SD card-based pies. So anything that came out... Oh, crap, my pie knowledge is not good enough to say it, but you know what I mean, like the the B original and then the A and whatever. Anyway, so I have two... Raspberry Pi B originals with full-size SD cards, two four-gig SD cards apiece, which I am willing to give away for free to anyone who wants them, has any use for them, what have you. There also is obviously a limit on how we get them places. Yeah, I'm thinking we should prioritise people who can come and physically collect them from you somewhere in central London. That would be good. That would save on postage. Okay, well, we can make this into an international giveaway because you can either come and find me in London or I will be in New York in early January, which is quite a bit populous area. So there must be someone around there who's uh, who listens. Yeah, that's cool. So yeah, hopefully one in the London area, one in the New York area. And if that doesn't work out, then maybe on the next episode in January, we can uh, extend it. But yeah, so get in touch with us by, via the contact page uh, if you're going to be in London or New York at some point soon and can pick up these things. I might have one of your SD cards possibly for one of my recorders, uh, but the pies are definitely on offer. And then you have a router. No, I might have that router. No, let's not mention that. <clears throat> I need a router. Um, so uh, also, yeah, the next episode is going to be a day late. So this episode has been released on the 25th-ish, and normally we would then release one, a quick look at the calendar, on the... Well, like night of the 8th, morning of the 9th. It's going to be 24 hours later because Jesse is coming back from New York. So we're pushing that back because we're going to do our predictions episode next time. The a look back at the predictions we made and we're going to have to make some more. I need to think of some of those. Um, shit, I thought of one and I've forgotten to written it down. But whatever. Anyway, right. It was it was Mycroft. Uh, no, I, I thought of one that I could do for this coming year. Anyway, that's for next episode. So on to September then. Sailfish for the Xperia X. We thought Sailfish was dead, or at least I did. And then they came back with this, which is a ROM that you can buy for 50 or 60 quid, I think, to put on an Xperia X. And people seem to be buying it, and they're starting to get some revenue coming in, and they're starting to pay back the people who bought tablets and never got one. So Sailfish is not completely dead. 
I mean, this whole story just feels like it's so, it's such a small piece of the pie. It's one sp- specific phone. It's one fairly unknown operating system. You know, when they were releasing or at least crowdsourcing, uh, crowdfunding a, a big tablet, it seemed like, right, you know, you, you go for that and, and, and throw it out there and it all sort of fizzled out and failed. And unfortunately, I just, I, it just seemed like such a strange way of getting revenue. It, I, I can't believe that they are actually making anything off this. I can, believe it or not. Why is that? You would be surprised the amount of times I speak to people on IRC, Reddit, Twitter, whichever, that are part of some selfish community, be it out in Finland or be it somewhere in America, whatever. There's so many people I've interacted with in like the last year that have known each other as well. Like I'll know someone, then they know someone through Selfish. So as much as it doesn't look like it's that big to us, they do actually have a really strong community that they've got a lot of passionate fans. So I'm not really that surprised now. Well, I'm not surprised that you have experienced that and that there is this huge community because of the alternative Linux-based operating systems, Firefox OS, dead. (laughs) Tizen, only really on phones that are in countries that, we don't live in um and selfish is solid it's not as good as android but objectively speaking well okay whatever but it is it is a pretty solid operating system and it's a decent competitor and it is probably the best hope we have for a linux-based os and it's so shiny well it's proprietary on top of the linux stuff so that's not good hackers that's not good but (laughs) At the same time, at least it's an alternative to Android and iOS that isn't fucking Windows Phone. Okay, but it's on one device, right? And are Sony going to patch the firmware on that phone for as long as the OS exists? No. Because what happens if there's a bug in that? Then you're running a very rootable, broken, attackable device. And it doesn't matter what the OS does, because the firmware can reach in and do all sorts of stuff it shouldn't. (laughs) Hello, iPhone. (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah I, I don't get it. i think it's pointless but whatever i know i sort of poo-pooed it at the start but i, I do think that that's a, a particularly negative view yeah i think i think definitely what we need is more closed sourced linux operating systems is definitely what we should have <laughs> but i don't think that this is you know joe sort of introduced it as an alternative Linux open sourced, open Linuxy, da da da. It's just an alternative phone operating system. Like if you, if you ignore our desire for it to be Linux based and open source and goody two shoes, and it would be great, and it's lovely that some of it is and what have you. It's just an alternative because Windows Phone is dead dead. So it's an alternative to Android and iOS. It's the only alternative. Yeah, but all that openness is good if you are able to get access to things on the phone and, you know, develop for it yourself and tweak things and change it. But if it's based on an open technology and isn't maintained and is closed source so you can't do that anyway, then I, I really, I don't know why you would have it. I mean, to be fair, Selfish is getting more and more open source as they go by. There are parts that the the legacy parts of the UI stack is slowly becoming more and more open source. They've got some kernel blobs, which are obviously going to be closed source because that's the situation with basically every phone that interacts with like an, an originally Android handset. But it is getting better. Stop being a negative ninny. 
Oh, okay, fine. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move into October, which is related, but eagle-eared listeners will notice, hang on, there was no August. Well, that's because nothing happens in August, <laughs> apart from Solus 3 and fuck that. So uh, the Libra 5 was funded <laughs> in October. <laughs> Are we coming back in January? I <laughs> <laughs> uh, hope so. Libra 5, come on, that's got to be good. That's a totally Libra phone that's going to have not even blobs or anything and it's going to have its own os we're going to be waiting just over a year for it but it's going to be worth the wait definitely it's like someone's dropped a really good phone in a pit of adders but the only way to find out is to reach into a unseen hole to grab it and it might be just more snakes (laughs) i don't believe it's gonna happen i hope it does they got funded but i mean it's not exactly mountains of cash. I mean, I know they're not developing it from scratch. Um, it's like a board that already kind of exists or or an upgrade to a board that already exists. But, jeez, it looks like you'd be burning through that cash so quick. Yeah, well, there was some good news this week, which is uh, that <laughs> Pure OS, their version of Triscoll, essentially, has been officially endorsed by the fsf so uh well that's going to win markets and hearts and minds yeah and not to mention all the cash that they're going to get from that so yeah, oh wait one. no i'm being negative you're rubbing off on me failing stop <laughs> it <laughs> and he's also being negative in the freedom of the well like looking at like a positive spin on this because someone someone has to stand up i think for purism they did a, a optimistic crowdfunding for the laptops. I think they've got a couple of laptops out now that that always seemed very, very expensive. And why would anyone buy them? And they hit those, and they are delivering them, and people are using them. And I think even a second version has come out, you know, a Rev2. And they did another crowdfunding, which was optimistic, and it was for the right reasons, but it still, still seemed optimistic. But they made it. And, you know, if you look at their history of crowdfunding and a hardware item with lofty open source goals they've met it so i don't see why you're being poo-pooey about the phone okay credit where credit's due they have worked on things and they've continued to update stuff and jam screwdrivers in the intel management (laughs) engine and stuff when it needed doing and all sorts of stuff like that so yeah maybe a bit harsh but i mean phones are an awful lot harder to do than laptops because they're so locked down especially with firmware side of things. So, yeah, I'm I'm hopeful. Hopeful, not optimistic, though. If anything, they'll set an example for the rest of the market. You know, like, this is how you actually put out a device and maintain it and care about your users, not just leave them with lockdown devices that are vulnerable to basically everything, including air. <laughs> well, we're not going to find out until 2019, are we? So uh, we'll have to wait to see what happens with it. I'm sure we'll get some updates throughout the year. But uh, also in October, the Linux kernel community enforcement statement, which basically said, don't worry, we're not going to sue you as long as you come into compliance and show us your code. Yeah, I think it's good. Um, There was one guy, I think he was based in Germany, who was getting up to all sorts of shenanigans where he was going around to companies and telling them that they had to translate his code into 27 different languages and he needed to see it uh, carved on marble or something. I don't know what he was trying to do, but... Yeah, he was being a dick and um, using his code in the kernel to try and force companies to to comply, but in a forceful manner with lawyers, etc., which triggered everybody to uh, respond back with something. So I think in a good way, they decided to make a 
common stance on it so we'd actually get a, a decent response that if you're prepared to work with us then you can tell this guy to go away because apparently if you have um an intent i think they call it where you say this is what we have in the license but this is the way we interpret how we will work then that actually matters in a court so and then a little bit later there was um other big companies red hat facebook and stuff that pretty much did the same thing as this so hopefully we're moving away from litigious bastards and into actual proper open source sharing of code and you know not just trying to make money from well money for lawyers rather than from them and then november rolled round yeah where conservancy and software freedom law center fell out over the trademark and we still don't know really what's going on with this the conservancy have countered the law center's trademark dispute so hopefully we're going to see an end to it soon but it's just we just don't need this shit do we no, it does feel like we're, well, someone is funding lawyers and uh, it's just going to the pockets of those people rather than people putting effort into keeping open source code open and usable and all those sorts of things that those you know, conservancies should be doing. So it just seems a bit, uh, a bit like a wasted effort at the moment. Yeah, well, it's not the only legal shit that went down in November. Mozilla came out with Firefox 57, which was pretty well received, but also... In doing so, they changed their default search provider back to Google and told Yahoo to go and fuck off. We're keeping your money as per the deal, but you're not actually going to be the default search provider anymore. And then what's left of Yahoo after it's been sold to Verizon have said, hey, no, no, that's not right. That's not right. You can't have our money. And, you know, that wasn't the deal. So that lawsuit is open and going to rumble on into 2018. So we'll see what happens with that. But... um, Firefox 57 then. IKU have switched to Firefox. I have indeed. Full-time on both workstations? Full-time. Yay. And just today, I know this This is kind of a mix. One Phenom's not going to like this because Google Hangouts, right? Uh. It's Google. But Did you get it at work? Well, they can now do, uh, using WebRTC, I've just seen this literally like minutes ago on Twitter uh, while I was focusing on, on, on the show. <laughs> um, <laughs> shit. Uh, they've now got support in Firefox for using Google Hangouts on WebRTC without any plugins. Yeah, I saw Stuart tweeting about that today. I haven't tested it yet. All right, I'm sorry. It's old news. Continue. Yeah. <laughs> so hopefully that means uh, when my wife goes away next time, we don't have to fucking use Chrome to talk to each other, which would be good. So I'd need to test that one out. But mm. yeah, Firefox 57 Quantum seems to have been pretty well received, doesn't it? So it's uh, the second win for them among some pretty big fails, one of which we'll get back to in a second. But uh, November saw the end of the Munich Linux experiment effectively because they voted to return to Windows. That ship has sailed after 10 years or more. Uh, politicians. Yeah, this is clearly the, the Linux version of that YouTube video for the forklift truck driver Klaus training video, if you've ever seen that. I don't think people who aren't married to Germans have seen that. Well, I, I think have. we need to link that in the show notes. What the fuck are you talking about? It, well... <laughs> I think the video can stand for itself, but essentially it's the how not to fucking do it video. And I think Munich proved that in absolute perfect form, how not to roll out a Linux distro. 
yeah roll your own base it on an old version that never gets updated instead of just paying a proper linux company like red hat suza canonical take your pick or just use an LDS fucking distro like Ubuntu. <laughs> no, well, they did, to be fair. Well, uh, yeah, okay, they they modified 12.04, and that meant they couldn't update it. But yeah, if they just used... But then you only get five years. I think the best bet is to just stump up the cash to pay someone like Canonical or SUSE or Red Hat, doesn't matter, but get them to do proper support for you. And yes, it's going to be a little bit more expensive than rolling your own and paying some fella to oh yeah i know what i'm doing yeah i know what i'm doing if if you have a proper support infrastructure in place then you can realistically expect that to continue going forward and because it's open source the beauty of it is people can bid for that support and undercut the company that you're paying if necessary but they're probably not going to be able to provide equal support are they because these companies have got this huge infrastructure but it's you're right this is just how not to do it and i I don't think that other governments are going to learn the thing that we want them to learn from this i think they're going to learn let's not bother rather than let's do it properly the other the big thing that happened last year well it wasn't really big unless you consider it in this context do you remember when ubuntu put out the whole super special enterprise lts yeah yeah this happened this year this is the perfect thing they should have used yeah because it was you pay such and such, and then you'll get enterprise support. I think it was like Ubuntu twelve oh four. Correct me if I'm wrong, but yeah, it is. Yeah, you had that for X amount of years, and they'll support you with that, and you still get updates. Something like that is perfect candidate for this. All we've done now, like I just wanted the news about Munich to stop because it was getting cringeworthy. I'd look at my phone and the news feed would come up and it's like, oh, they might be keeping it. Oh, they don't know they're going to keep it. This- oh, no, they're keeping it this time. You just wanted it to win because you knew behind the scenes, it's just money and politics yet again. It had nothing to do with the technical needs of anybody involved in this. That was the sickening thing about it. Yeah, well, they'll start the return to Windows in 2018 and it's just going to be depressing. So we'll see if any other governments do it properly. I doubt it somehow. So moving into December then, uh, two things here. The first one, Mozilla had to end on a fail, didn't they, with this fucking Mr. Robot plug-in. Jesus (laughs) Christ. I was upset. I couldn't make it work. I couldn't get it. (laughs) I tried to make my browser have it. I couldn't find it. I I was a bad user and had those things all unticked anyway, apparently, so I wasn't helping their stats at any point. So, oh well. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it was this studies thing, wasn't it? Where yeah. a- allow Mozilla to do studies. And if you had that ticked, which I had on all of my machines, they were able to push a browser extension that was uh, an, uh, not augmented reality, uh, alternative reality game, which is part of Mr. Robot, um, which is just bollocks. Who gives a fuck about that? Um, uh, it was disabled by default, I think. But even so, don't push software onto my machine. Thank you very much. If you're collecting metrics that are anonymized and actually benefiting the project, fair enough. But shit like this, and I hear they didn't even make any money from it. It was supposed to be this cross-promotion thing. Just just some fucking boardroom bullshit meeting where people thought this was a good idea. Did they not think about what Apple did with you too? I know. <laughs> Nobody wanted Bono looking up at them from the phone. Why would they want this looking back from the browser? <sighs> I know, but it's like they had all this momentum 
with Firefox 57, people like you moving over to it, Ike. And that was a very significant to them this year. That that was their crowning achievement. They got me back in Firefox. Well, no, the thing is, you are their target audience, aren't you? You're a very technical person. Well, I suppose their target audience is normals, but they're not going to get them ever again. Everyone's using Chrome. But you are a technical person who was using Chrome because it was better, whereas now it, Firefox is good enough to compete with Chrome but they've just squandered all of that with this bollocks. Ah, let them off. (laughs) You'll be be switching to Chrome anyway, won't you now? Well, I'm still sticking with Firefox for now. I've disabled all that shit, so hopefully it won't happen again, but we'll see. Here's the funny thing, right? You hear loads of people complaining about this, and, oh, this is why I can't use Firefox. Like, well, what do you think Google's doing all your data? In all fairness, (laughs) like, I mean, it's not like they're sitting there being all nice guys about it they're using it to spy on you wherever your mouse goes so yeah <laughs> calm down people people don't really get how bad it is as well it's like hmm i've just sent a text on my android phone saying i needed to get shoes tonight and there's an ad showing in <laughs> gmail about shoes hmm <laughs> wonder how that happened mm. all right well a story that we haven't covered much on this show but i have on my other show lan um Bitcoin, it's been a big year for it. I get the feeling that none of you lot give a flying fuck about Bitcoin, but it's gone <laughs> over 10,000. It's hovering around 15-ish now, 16-ish. It's it's big fucking news. It might be a Ponzi scheme. It might be bullshit, but... But now that you're in it, you want more suckers. you got to get to the top of that pyramid. <laughs> yeah, well, I had a little bit before, and I kind of consolidated my other cryptocurrencies into it, and now I've got like a few hundred quid's worth, but um and that changes i check it every day to see how much it's worth and it was worth 900 quid the other day now it's worth six fucking sell 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 <laughs> no hold that's the, the the first rule of bitcoin is hold this, this is the thing that i laugh about joe's bitcoin is it will never be spent it will be held onto as like a sort of bastion of like immortal coin that oh a new coin immortal coin we need late night linux coin and we can just mine the shit out of it for the first like month and then open it up to the public it uses rope 13 encryption (laughs) double rope 13 (laughs) oh jesus so right well i guess we don't don't have much to say about that then because you lot think it's oh it's cool it's it's worth something now but if anything I think you're starting to see the new generation crop up now. Um, this kind of gives them, it gives people confidence in the new currencies coming about. I don't think it directly really benefits Bitcoin anymore because Bitcoin is sort of the progenitor in this scene. I think really it's going to benefit the new currencies that come along because people have that bit much more confidence to actually trade with them. And it's going to help with the ICOs. That's my opinion of it. Yeah, I know something about coins. There's <laughs> <laughs> Joe sitting there going, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> yeah i thought you didn't know about icos and stuff (laughs) fucking initial coin offerings that is the biggest ponzi scheme ever man like just uh give us loads of money and uh, i saw a story about like some company i can't remember where somewhere in europe and they sold cakes and stuff and they changed their name to whatever their name was and then blockchain in the name and suddenly their stock was worth three times as much in 24 hours. <laughs> Were they selling raspberry pies? <laughs> <laughs> but if that doesn't reek of the fucking tulip shit from whenever that was in Holland and just like bubble, I don't know what does, man. But that said, blockchain technology 
has got a lot of applications outside of uh, cryptocurrencies. It's you know a, a cryptographically signed and proven ledger that cannot be altered, that's peer-to-peer and distributed. Think of a million uses for that. In- well, especially when you bring smart contracts into the protocol as well, then it starts to get really interesting. There's so many boring enterprise ways you can use this and implementations that it, the the, tech, the base technology is certainly valuable. And whether or not Bitcoin is going to continue to grow and whether my predictions about it being worth shitloads this time next year come true, you cannot take away from the fact that blockchain technology itself is solid and going places. Yeah, I mean, it's... It, 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 at the very basic level, it's decentralized proof of work. You don't need, you know, the middleman anymore. And like you say, it's, it's got a lot of applications, not just fiscal. Yeah, just anything with data. So, um, yeah, all right. So that'll do it then for our wrap-up of 2017. There were loads of other things we could have talked about, but I had to slim it down and we had to only talk about a few things. Uh, so we will be back in just over two weeks then and i hope everyone had a good christmas and new year and all the rest of it um until then then i've been joe i've been phelan i'm still Aiki. and i've been jesse see you later